Hi, welcome to This Should Be a Podcast. I'm Jill Norton. Hi, Jill Norton. I'm Jay Boninsinga. Have we met? <laughs> Have we Do met? you come here often? How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, you know, considering yeah. that we're in a horrible um, ordeal of pandemic and social unrest and a, and a gigantic turd bucket as president. I'm doing pretty well, though, other Consider than, other than that. Other everything's than fantastic. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, what are we drinking this evening? Um, I'm having what's known as a breakfast stout. Uh, although, if you had these for breakfast every morning, you would probably need to be in an institution. We're both, uh, we're both still having our breakfast drinks. <laughs> that's true. You're having a mimosa. I'm having a grapefruit mimosa. Oh, yum. Yum. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, the theme for this podcast, I'm super excited about for so many reasons. It's fueled my creativity for all, all, all my life. And you also have a really special relationship with the subject matter. You have so many ideas about it and you're 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 an aficionado of the study of it and and just tell me what it is i'm not gonna say <laughs> <laughs> i'm not gonna say uh it's the afterlife <laughs> there'll be an edit there probably <laughs> i was like what are we calling it <laughs> the afterlife uh you know i mean i i I'm going to read something during this episode, which is a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's an attempt to show the sweet, comforting angle on the afterlife, which there are m many volumes of books and, and myriad, uh, you know, stories and movies that, that attempt that, that make the afterlife something wonderful and sweet and something that will heal and give you an eternity of uh, happiness and and you know and I'm not just talking about heaven but that's that's the Christian version of it but there are many versions in different cultures and stuff but you know it's it's Nirvana it's Valhalla it's it's the the final resting place that we end up if we're good people and we get to live out eternity happy and joyful I don't know if I believe it but I do know deep down I want to believe it <laughs> and hence this story that I'm going to read and and also you know the fact that most of the time the stuff I write is about the dark scary disturbing creepy aspect of the afterlife what what, what are your thoughts um I'm sorry I didn't know what was up next <laughs> <laughs> well I don't, I don't, I don't want to you know, no, that's okay. hog the microphone. No, that's okay. Um, uh, so what you're saying is this is a little more like a, a more positive experience than The Walking Dead. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Walking Dead is the afterlife is uh, you get buried, then you reanimate and crawl out of the grave, and then you're just starved all the time and you can't take a shit. You know what? It's the that's the afterlife. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Go um, ahead. <laughs> it's kind of the opposite. I mean, afterlife is sort of like where your soul goes when it leaves the body, whereas The Walking Dead is like what happens to your body when the soul is gone. Yeah. Well, nobody ever, I'm, you know, like it's part of my, you know, metier, the zombie. I've, I've worked on zombie uh, projects for many years over and over again <laughs> for different people and for myself. And, uh, you know, there really is no exploration of what happens to uh, the undead's soul. The, the, the undead uh, have no soul. So what happens to those souls? That, that's something that's never been explored. It'd be a good, uh, an interesting twist on the story. I don't know where they, are they in limbo? Are they in limbo, Jill? On The Walking Dead? Well, no, in any zombie tale, there's no, there, no, nobody mentions in a, in a zombie story, um, the dead, the dead body 
the remains, the human remains, are scary and they reanimate and they want to eat your liver. Right, but no, there's no signs. There's of there's, the there's no there's no discussion. White. I tried to do it a little bit in this piece that I wrote for the George Romero tribute, uh, Knights of the Living Dead. I, I I had I have a story in there about a psychic, a military psychic, a remote viewer who is asked to come and get inside the brain, the mind of a person they believe is undead, you know, and I tried to get into it a little bit, but I, st I didn't explore it fully. What happens to the soul? You, because if you t have any belief in the afterlife, correct me if I'm wrong, because you, you know as much, if not more about it than I, but don't you have to believe in a soul? You have to have a belief in a human soul before you have any concept of an afterlife. Because... You know, I don't think there's anybody out there that says the body does not rot and return to dust once we die. It's we return to the earth. We return to from dust to dust. You know, um, so you know, I think you and I both believe in the soul. Is that true? No. Okay. <laughs> Is it a I Jewish do. thing? Of course I do. <laughs> Go ahead. I believe in the in the soul. Right. So what happens when we die? I mean, you know, I don't know, but I believe a lot of the stuff that I have seen, and some of it's crap, I'm sure, but, um, you know, I've always, since I was little, been into it. I've always thought, uh, I mean, this is the thing I've been meaning to say all week, but that uh, my babysitter, when I was, I don't know, seven or something, you know, was just the coolest thing ever, and she was reading uh, Life After Life. So I immediately like went to the library and got it and just obsessed over it. And then she she or another babysitter was reading um, Shirley MacLaine out on a limb. So I immediately went to, <laughs> went to go get one. And I read both of those books and they both are kind of talk about the same, you know, kind of things and experiences. And anyway, so I was into it like way back then. But cool. Now, but now I'm like, you know, I love Ghost Adventures is one of my fave shows. And other things. Oh, and also the the ghost inside my child. That one that I saw in London. That I love that show. I'm so it's fascinating that these kids are like have they have, have the spirit of somebody, of somebody else, else like inside just, them. Like they know things that yeah. there's no reason they should know that. And right. They're so cool. How does that work? Once you die, your spirit sets up housekeeping in another body that's also being inhabited by another soul. Or, or if there's, I mean, I, mean, I feel like it's always it's a I presumptuous like, of the spirit. You know, <laughs> <laughs> there's already the, there's a there's a resident in the house. Who, who, Find a vacant house. Who was the comedian who said, you know, it talked about like when athletes, like you know prayed you know say like if they won the game like i know my mom is going to be there looking out for me and <laughs> the mom's up in heaven going good lord i went to all the games already i still have to go to your games <laughs> that's it exactly yeah. that's it exactly <laughs> well, um, anyway, well, yeah uh so i think we should like get into your little story yeah okay your little story wow that <laughs> so sounded like my mother no, you're, you're, you're amazing story. You're, 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 you're a wonderful person and I would never <laughs> accuse you of being like a mother, but boy, that was, my mom was just like, Jay went to New York to have a little signing thing for his little book with his little publisher <laughs> on his little jet. It sounds like I, like I'm, I'm, in, you know, the, the lollipop kid or something. But anyway, this, this is a story that I wrote in 2004 and it was originally published in a magazine called Amazing Stories, the February 2005 issue of Amazing Stories. I'm really proud of that because I read Amazing Stories when I was a kid, and this does date me. It, go, it goes back, I don't know, maybe to the 20s. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a classic magazine. I think it's defunct now. I don't think it's still in print, but I'm digressing. This, this is a story called... Stegall's Barbershop and Smoke Emporium. I always tear up when I read it. I always get all verklempt. So we'll see if I can make it through the whole story. <laughs> all right. Stegall's Barbershop and Smoke Emporium. 
Davy Marsh was in such a state that day, he could hardly remember how he got down to Stegall's. Not to mention how he got home from the Middle East. The barbershop was in a gentrified part of town, on a side street just off, just off Taylor, sandwiched between a Korean dry cleaners and a foreign auto body shop. The front of the shop hadn't changed since Nixon was in office, a broken-down little candy-striped pole planted in concrete by the door, whiskered in weeds, a window covered with chipped black paint and sun-faded photos of Sears catalog models with hairstyles that had gone out of vogue sometime around the heyday of the hula hoop. Styles such as the flat top, the brush cut, and the Princeton. Davy pulled his S10 up to a meter right in front of the place, the vacant spot a miracle in itself, and yanked the stick into park. For nearly two decades, Davy Marsh had been getting his hair cut at Stegall's. He had never seen an open parking spot right in front of the place. But that's just the way that day had been going. Like a waking dream. Davy twisted off the ignition and climbed out of the pickup. He was a big kid, and he seemed to unfold himself to his full six-foot-four lank as he got out of the truck, arching his back and squinting up at the high blue sky. His blue chambray shirt was damp under the arms and sticking to his back. It was late summer in Chicago, and the afternoon was heating up, but it was nothing like Iraq heat. Nothing like that devil's furnace that pressed down on you and matted your field gear to your back and turned your sweat to glue. Davy loped up the cracked sidewalk to the glass entrance door. A little bell jangled overhead as Davy entered Stegall's Barbershop and Smoke Emporium. Scorcher of a day out there, ain't it? came a voice from the cool shadows in the rear of the place. The air inside the barbershop was musky and fragrant with hair tonic blown around the old linoleum and plaster by squeaky, rotating ceiling fans. It was a smell that immediately wrenched Davy back to his childhood and, and all those sticky visits for crew cuts and suckers. There was an old naugahyde sofa on one wall strewn with well-thumbed men's magazines spanning the last few decades. Gent, we, modern man, soldier of fortune, club, international, and swank. What was he doing here? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty hot, he murmured looking around and surveying the cluttered shop. Jesus, that little greasy display case was still there? With the cheap cigars and stale European cigarettes? And the comic book spinner was still over in the corner? With the same old 60-cent DC and Marvel titles? Flash and All-Star Squadron and that stupid Star Raiders book? The memories made Davy's stomach clench. You'd think the old man would get some new comics over the years. Hold the phone. Hold the goddamn phone. The little troll in the powder blue barber's tunic shuffled out of the shadows and approached, holding his broom, looking the tall young man up and down. Burdette Stegall had to be a hundred years old if he was a day, but Davy was damned if the old man didn't look the same as always. Pug dog face and bald head shaped like a fat missile. Those little sausage fingers that played scissors over the heads of neighborhood kids like Paganini. I'll be a cross-eyed son of a bitch. Is that Davy? Davy Marsh? How you doing, Burdette? Davy said. The little man set his broom against the swivel chair and trundled over to the little lanky kid. Davy tensed as the barber embraced him. It was like getting hugged by an ape. Davy could smell brill cream and a faint trace of B.O. on the portly little barber. Your old man was in a few weeks ago, told me you were in the service, the barber said, holding Davy by the shoulders. The little man's eyes glittered with emotion. Told me you were over in the Middle East. Jesus, 
Jesus, look at you. Yeah, <laughs> well, Davy didn't know what to say. Didn't know what the hell he was doing here. Come in for a cut, huh? For old time's sake? Davy shrugged and caught a glimpse of himself in the mirror behind the chair. His narrow, gaunt face was topped with the regulation buzz cap of a seasoned jarhead. In civilian life, Davy Marsh wore his wavy blonde hair long in a ponytail bound with a rubber band, perhaps as compensation for all those childhood buzz cuts. But now, now you could hardly tell he was blonde. He could still feel sand in those bristles. Not much to work with up there, huh? <laughs> the barber grinned. <laughs> no, I guess not. Tell you what, Stegall said, waddling over to the closest chair, spinning it toward Davy, snapping a towel across the seat. Let's see if we can't make you look a little more suave for them neighbor girls. Davy shrugged again, and, and he sat down. So... When'd you get back? The barber wanted to know, turning toward a glass canister filled with combs suspended in blue fluid. His portly little body moved with a dancer's grace. He flung the liquid from a comb, grabbed a pair of scissors, then whipped a black plastic protective gown around Davy to catch what little hair there was left. Then the fat man started lavishing attention on Davy's cranium. What'd your ma think when she saw you? Davy listened to the snip, snip, snipping against his ears, which were red and hot with nervous tension. He wondered how to answer. He wondered how to explain what was going on inside him, how he had gone over there, fresh out of basic at Fort Benning, all full of piss and righteous rage, wanting to get back at those goddamn zealots for 9-11. Davy Marsh the guy they used to call Big Bird at Sen High School, the geek no girls would go out with because he was so gangly on the dance floor and he wore braces until he was 18, making it all the way to Technical Sergeant, the youngest non-com in the 7th Air Cav. But how in God's name was Davey going to explain that first fireflight? How was he going to explain what had happened to him that night? riding shotgun on that Apache attack chopper a hundred feet above the sand, firing 30-millimeter tracers into cities, boiling like cauldrons with anti-aircraft fire. No, I, 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 haven't, I haven't been home yet, Davy said finally. No kidding. Jeez. Snip, 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 snip. Yeah, you know, I thought I'd, <laughs> thought I'd get cleaned up first. Get the stink off me. Well, I'm honored, kid. You coming in here always said you were a special kid. Thanks, Bertie. Snip, snip, snip. You, uh, see some action over there? Davy stared at himself in the mirror. He watched the glimmer of the scissors, the little plump pink fingers flexing, the comb flicking and teasing at the bristles, and the strangest thing occurred to Davy. There's no hair being cut. Is he, is he just pretending? Is the fat man just humoring this shell-shocked kid, just snipping at the air around Davy's ears? Hey, you know, you don't want to talk about it. You don't got to talk about it, the barber said. No, no, it's not that, it's just... That's okay, kid. No, I just don't. That's okay. You don't got to say a word. Just going to make you look real dapper, real suave for the girls. <laughs> the girls, right? Davy closed his eyes and saw the crackle of mortar fire streak across his vision. Those same awful shooting stars that had been ruining his sleep. When he opened his eyes, they were wet. Snip, snip, snip. Minutes passed with neither man saying a word. Davy could barely see his reflection in the mirror. He could barely see the bizarre optical illusion materializing before him. 
obscured by his tears like shapes behind a rain-dappled pane of glass. It looked as though the barber was painting his scalp instead of trimming it, each little flick of the scissors dabbing a brush stroke of ginger-colored hair back onto his head instead of shearing it off. It felt odd, too, like like warm goosebumps spreading across his scalp. It wasn't an altogether unpleasant feeling, either. Maybe, maybe, maybe the first pleasant sensation he had felt for months. A tear tracked down Davy Marsh's face. <laughs> Girls, he murmured, his voice breaking. Pilot I got shot down with was a girl. <laughs> Can you believe that? Native American woman, big fat gal, looked Hawaiian. Davey, uh, look, uh, the barber paused. You, you don't gotta... Chief Warrant Officer Irma Good, Davy said. You believe that? Old Irma. I can't believe the fire we went through, man. I mean, you could have walked on top of it. It was so goddamn thick, like we had gone and stirred up a hornet's nest or something. It was... It was right outside of Basra, and, and they opened up on us, man. The whole ga goddamn Republican Guard, I mean, they just, they hit us with everything they had. I saw these two other Apaches buy it, you know, right off the bat, and I was, I was, I was like screaming and shaking and laying down suppression fire, and oh, oh Jesus, it was, it was bad. It wasn't, it, it was, it wasn't just awful. It was fucking horrible. I mean, I wasn't ready for it, you know. 57 millimeter flak chewing us all to hell, sparking and pinging off our belly. Those, those goddamn ex-sissies, those 60s like dragons on our asses, and we're, we're, we're ducking left and right and breaking our pattern and trying to throw them off, and, I, and I'm shaking, right? Like I'm having a seizure, firing every which way, and I'm, I'm flash blind now. I can, I can barely see the longbow blasting leaves off trees and the sand off the rooftops. And we're like, we're like Mayday now. I mean, we're like, we're, we're going in. I mean, we're going down. And we belly flop on the sand. And it was like, it was like, it was like an elephant landing on me. But, but we didn't blow. God, thank Christ we didn't blow. Because I, I got thrown. I landed on my back in the, and in the sand. But Irma, oh Jesus, Irma bought it. I mean, I saw her face in the tracer flash. Her face, the flak took her face away. It took it right off. Sweet gal, Irma from Bakersfield, had two kids. One of them was a cheerleader. One of her kids was a cheerleader. You believe that shit? Davy laughed then. It sounded alien in his own ears, like the bark of a hyena. He began to cry. Oh, Jesus, what good is it? You see a good person like that, and, and, and you're just sitting there on your ass, and the rotor's still spinning and kicking up sand in your teeth, and you're, you're just sitting there shaking and staring at some lady with a cheerleader daughter and no face, face just gone and just... The barber laid a hand on Davy's shoulder, and Davy clammed up. The silence crashed down on that barber shop. The fat man didn't say anything. Another moment passed. Yeah. Yeah. It was a miracle the Special Forces guys got to me, Davy said at last. I mean, I, mean, I, I don't even remember getting evac but I guess I did, because I, I, look at me now, man. <laughs> sitting here, sitting in this... Sitting in this barber chair. And thank God for that. Thank God for that, Stegall said, returning to his work. The scissors continued snipping. Davy felt that humming sensation again. I'm sorry, Davy finally said. Don't be silly, kid. No, I, I, don't, I don't know what I don't know what I forget about it, the barber said, busily flicking that comb pinching the scissors. Davy glanced up at the mirror and his stomach seized up again. He, he was seeing things. And why not? They say you hallucinate when the strings finally come undone. God knew he was due. He was due for a major breakdown. But who would have guessed it would have come like that? 
watching scissors paint hair onto his head. Like a spatula frosting a cake, the gleaming metallic tips of those things kept extruding swath after swath of wavy golden curls along each contour of Davy's scalp. There was already a good couple of inches feathering down over his ears, fringing along his neckline. And that that warm buzzing sensation of honey dripping over his scalp was intensifying. Must have seemed like another world over there, the barber was murmuring. What? Iraq, you know, the, the, the Middle East. Must have seemed like a whole nother universe. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess. Snip, 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 snip. Funny thing is, the barber said coaxing strands of blonde locks down the young man's back. It ain't really like that. What do you mean? Well, you know, the world, the planet, you know, it ain't made up of different kinds of places. It's all, it's all one. We're all floating on the same boat, kid, if you, if you follow my meaning. The same boat. I'm telling you, kid. I got the inside track on this thing. Uh, no, what I'm saying is, I'll bet you a dollar to a donut they got a few of these dumps over there in Baghdad, Ramallah, whatever they call it. A, f- a few of these what? Barber shops, for Christ's sake. The fat man was going like crazy at that point with the scissors and the comb and the razor tips spewing lovely cascades of flax and waves down Davy Marsh's back. The hair shone in the mirror, lustrous locks of blonde parted down the middle, almost as long as it had been in, in his 1999 graduation picture. And, and that electric warmth, it poured across his scalp and down the cords of his neck like a sympathetic note strummed on his nerve endings. You know, it's like when you were just a little squirt. Stegall droned on with that weird enthusiasm glinting in his eyes. Used to come in here and read them comics while your dad got a shave. Used to sit for hours in that chair next to your old man, listening to the locals shoot the breeze, soaking everything up like a little sponge. Bertie, I don't... Later, you know... You'd drop by with all that hair. Drove your dad crazy. Never wanted a cut in those days. You didn't. The fat man chuckled so heartily his paunch shook under his tunic. Never a haircut. Just dropped in to read some comics. Get away from it all, I guess. Take a little vacation from the world. You remember that? Davy glanced across the shop. That couch. That couch! That shop-worn imitation leather couch with those rusty metal arms. It had to be older than Stegall. And yet, and yet, it sat there with that same spray of junky magazines across its ratty seat that had cluttered the thing when Davy was a kid. Wouldn't they have moldered and yellowed into powder by now, and that spinner rack with its chipped white lacquer compartments. It looked as though it had been pickled in time. And the comic books, they were mint. Originals. Giant-sized X-Men number one. The original Conan the Barbarian, for God's sake, with that gorgeous Barry Windsor Smith artwork, for God's sake. Davy looked at his reflection again. Oh, no. Kid? Oh, no, 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 no. Now, they said this would happen, the barber muttered gently, folding the scissors closed. He was done. Davy's hair was completely restored to its original heavy metal shoulder-length ACDC glory. It's nothing to worry about, okay? Just the initial shock of the thing. Oh, Oh, my God. 
Davy looked down at the black plastic protective gown draped over him, his new lustrous hair falling across his face. There were no tiny hairs on the plastic, only a long metal zipper bisecting down its middle. Davy had seen other soldiers, not many, thank God, but, but a few, cocooned in that same kind of plastic bag while being loaded into a C-130 Hercules. Take it easy, kid. Davy jerked forward with a start. He grasped the edges of the black plastic shroud and yanked it apart with a single spasm. The plastic tore in half, the zipper tumbling to the floor like a fillip of skin shed from a snake. Davy gazed down at his chest where the chambray shirt had buckled. It had buckled enough to expose skin. Oh, God. Now, now don't be getting all riled up, kid. The barber placed a tender hand on Davy's shoulder, steadying him keeping him in the chair. Like I said, it's just the initial shock of the thing happens to the best of us sooner or later. Just just take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. It'll be all right. Davy stared at his chest. The entry wound was small, a tiny starburst between his nipples, crusty and black around the edges, but fairly clean, probably fired from one of those five, five, six millimeter carbines used by the Republican Guard in their foxholes on the outskirts of villages. I, I never, I, I never made it out of there. He panted, looking up at the chubby barber through tears. Did I? I never made it out. Burdette Stegall just smiled then. That same crooked grin with which he always graced his customers at the end of a long, dirty joke. Like I said, kid, just the place to get away. Relax, shoot the bull for a while before moving on. Davy felt himself fall back into the spongy confines of the barber chair. He started to say something else when Stegall suddenly called out, all right, next! There was movement in the corner, and Davy swiveled in time to see big Irma Good rising from an armchair, setting down her magazine. She was smiling, her face restored to its olive-skinned, earnest beauty. Her hair was spiky short, but looked as though it, had, it would be a wondrous black mane if allowed to grow out a little bit. Davy smiled through his tears. Come on, sweetheart, Stegall urged, grabbing another comb from its sapphire bath and turning toward an open seat. We got two chairs. No waiting. So, you know, it, you can, I'll just, you know, one last little ad, <laughs> advertisement. You can find this story if you want to own it or collect it or whatever, want to read it in print or digitally. You can find it at www.crossroadpress, all one word, C-R-O-S-S-R-O-A-D-P-R-E-S-S, crossroadpress.com. And if you want to go right to the Blood Samples, which is the, the collection that it's in, it's called Blood Samples, Tales of Horror, Crime, and Dark Fantasy, and Cats. <laughs> <laughs> Blood Samples. It's one of my collections of short fiction, and uh, it's only $3.99, a great entertainment value. <laughs> go to crossroadspress.com slash product slash blood dash samples slash... Okay, that's, that's, I'm sorry, that's all the disgusting, weaselly commercial announcements I'll make. <laughs> all right, so what gave you the inspiration to write that? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I don't know if I've ever been asked that, but I've gotten a lot of good responses from that. It's been reprinted like four times. It was in a, it was in a collection called American Horror, 
you know, I really, I really wanted to write something that wasn't all nasty and disturbing and creepy and malignant and dark and like my usual affair. <laughs> I wanted to write something, you know, did you like it too? <laughs> I just reread my favorite war book, which is called The Things They Carried. And if you want to cry... If you want to be moved beyond, you know, tears, read Tim O'Brien's The Things They Carried. This is the greatest war book ever written, in my opinion. And it's also the greatest book about Vietnam, if you're interested in Vietnam. I wanted to write something about war. It was the first thing I had written about war. Ironically, now in the pandemic, I'm writing two things about war. I've really gotten... And and the thing I read in our last podcast was about war right i actually <laughs> thought of that when you were re- when you were reading which and i've already heard you read the story but it was the first time that i heard it and thought why does he write everything about the war because you obviously you have not been in the war right <laughs> but you but you do seem to it doesn't come up like in conversation a lot or anything it's not like the walking dead was kind of like a war right but a lot of this I was mean, pre-walking dead yeah that's true that's true this is pre-Walking Dead, just a couple years before I started working on The Walking Dead. But I offer that as a sort of tribute to your fascination and love of the afterlife because I grew up watching Twilight Zone and some of those Twilight Zones were very, you know, they were very warm and, and heartfelt and they were they were touching. And some of them involved the afterlife and what happens to people after they die and my my father just died a couple months ago and so I'm it's really foremost in my mind and you you have so much background just in thinking about it and watching and reading about it do you have any feeling like you're like your dad's looking down on you do you feel like he's with you in that sense I I I was one you know before we started today I was thinking about that Do, do what where where is my dad right now? I'm an agnostic, so I'm, I'm, I'm anything's possible in my view of the cosmos and everything. But I think what you leave behind is memory. And that's where my dad is right now. He's in memories. And, and it's as real as if he was sitting right here. You know, I mean, his memory is so vivid. And I don't think it'll ever fade you know and and i think you you know that's the mark of a life well lived and and a good afterlife if you leave good memories if you have people that's really the only thing you have you can't take anything else with you (laughs) you know you can't take it with you well uh i was just trying to get to more like away from the story specifically but just do you ever i mean i because i get that feeling i mean i used to joke that like my stalking you in the parking lot of Dominic's was like my grandmother like physically pushing me to follow you like it was something out of this world that like, right. I came over me um, yeah and I mean I've had lots of little experiences like that with my grandparents you know when my grandfather passed away when I, he was like my first uh, relative close relative to pass away I was like 14 and I was in my room and I remember he had been sick he had cancer and I remember the phone ringing and then all of a sudden my light started flickering on and off. Or maybe my light flickered on and off in my bedroom when I was doing my homework or whatever. And the phone rang and it was my mom getting the news that he had passed away. Wow. And I heard, so I heard her just like burst into tears. But I had just seen that flicker of my light bulb. So I totally thought, <laughs> well, clearly this is my Grandpa Al saying hi. And then my Grandma Ida, when she passed away and I got that grandfather clock from her and it's a weird grandfather clock and if you it's got like bells in it but not like they they don't move around a lot so bringing it home from Warren it was sitting in the car like lengthwise and didn't make any noises there was no rattling or anything like that and i wish i could remember what the context was cuz some conversation was being had and and whatever it was there was like some it came to some interesting like deep word and then all of a sudden the grandfather clock started going bing <laughs> so I'm like, oh, it's Grandma Ida. She agrees with us. Um, <laughs> you know, I, my encounters with the paranormal, which basically is what the afterlife is. I mean, every 
it's what religion is. Afterlife is religion. Because to me, you know, religion is basically just explaining what happens when we die and why, why it happens. And, you know, it's just like that song by The Who. I keep on, what, what's, um, I'm, the, I'm the searcher, seeker, I'm the seeker. Right. I'll keep on searching till the day I die. Then when I die, I'll know. <laughs> the, the character in the song is like, that's the only time I'm ever going to know. You're, you're never going to know right. what the truth is, what, what God is, what, you know. So every, everything we talk about, all this mythology, is just, you know, stuff we make up to make ourselves feel a certain way. You know, we don't know. Just like you said a few minutes ago, you go, I don't know. I don't know what there is, but I know that there's something. Yeah, <laughs> you, know? you feel I, I've seen, I've confident seen, well, that there's something beyond this life. Right, and I feel like I've had enough experiences and watched enough of these shows, and I know a lot of stuff is is not, you know, true or whatever. But a lot of it I can tell is true, and a lot, I've just heard so many amazing stories, and um, and yeah, I do kind of believe that. Amazing stories. <laughs> <laughs> You, you just heard one. <laughs> so you believe deeply in your heart that when you die, it's possible possible to interact with this world? Because that, that's the real question that most people want to answer and they can't. Right. They, 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 you see, you know... Like that convention we went to, all the gadgets and stuff. This records ghosts talking to you, so there you go. It proves it right there that there are ghosts. I mean, but just, you know, there's this whole industry, you know, based around this. That when you die, it's possible to still interact with this world. Do, is What are your thoughts on that? Do you believe that? Do you, do you... I believe that there's some sort of energy that is, is left behind. And there's some... <clears throat> You know, I don't know. I mean, like, I was doing a little bit of research, and I read that, like, the Egyptians believed in afterlife, and they... Right. But there... And that was sort of the whole mummification thing. Right. So there was this right. period in between dying and then being gone that was the period that they would mummify them and... Um, right, right, right. So... Uh, and they... they I, I think, I believe they believed that the body actually did go to another world because they gave them, you know, little fanny packs and stuff to take with them and and you know <laughs> fanny packs to take with them? <laughs> they, they 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 enclose little things in the in the crypts in the tombs in in the sarcophagi you know with the mummy f- to take into the afterworld so they right. they must have believed that the physical remains would go into the <laughs> Sorry. fanny packs <laughs> that's where fanny packs were invented in the <laughs> no in just Asia? kidding okay. <laughs> But but seriously, you know, like where 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 I have a problem is that you know you say I believe yeah I believe there's energy, well yeah of course I believe that but it's a big jump to say there's energy, and then there's energy that is conscious and can talk to you, and is the person you know that I'm not saying that's not true I don't know like I said I'm agnostic, but that is a huge jump, because. It's it's like um, you know not to not to be self reverential but uh, our first podcast right when you did the piece on the Beverly Hills Supper, Supper Club right. fire and you know you would you 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 captured some phenomenon you captured an anomaly some kind of spirit or energy or something well I do believe that you know enormous catastrophes or the Eastland disaster, which is, I believe, was the next one I talked about, <laughs> or maybe that was the one on that issue. We've done so many now; I've forgotten. <laughs> we were on our fourth one. No, wow! No, that was your, that was your first one. <laughs> you know, but it leaves behind an energy. I don't know. Let's see. Let's see. Right, right. but any, anyway, <laughs> it, it, it leaves behind an energy. I think that's what people are mistaking for the actual person. This, I, I guess, I. I, I wrestle with believing that, that it, there's an actual person you can talk to. Because if that's true, then, man, how boring well, not, the I, afterlife must be. Well, here's my... my <laughs> Sitting around an empty room 
for eternity, haunting people. It just sounds so boring. I feel like, um, <laughs> the, the, at least what I've seen, and you know, obviously, this is just like what I believe from it. I don't know that any of it's true, but the uh, it's it seems to be like when there's a message that needs to be sent, you know, a murder that was you know wrongly, you know, someone got off scot free and the person needs to get through, you know, stuff like that. Um, messages to family in that period like right after they died um and so that's some of the stuff that, that i see when i'm watching like ghost adventures and stuff like that and they actually do have like like the energy that it takes for that side to communicate is different than just like having a conversation but there's kind of conversations that happen through their different little mechanisms. So anyway, so I, I just believe that there's some really trippy stuff that we have no idea what it is, but I believe that something yeah. is there. Well, I, 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 I don't think we're very far apart, but, you know, because, you know, I've studied this, I've studied the paranormal for over the years just lightly, like a, like a tourist, but for, for my fiction, you know, and and there's one thing I've learned. It's scientifically proven that there's a paranormal. There's, it's scientifically proven that there's the place where you work, Northwestern University. There's a department called PAIR, Physical Engineering Anomalies uh, Research, and and that's based on just we don't understand why this why this works this way. We don't understand why this is happening. We don't understand why that it's and so you know that's one thing, but. I think my belief system was completely changed when I read about Houdini's deal with his, you know, if you haven't read about Houdini or you haven't, you know, looked into Houdini's life, it's fascinating. You know, he died in such a bizarre way. But before he died, he made a deal with his wife because they were spiritualists for a time. They believed, the early part of the 20th century, everybody believed in ghosts. Everybody, it was the it was in vogue. Everybody had seances. Right. Everybody would talk to their dead aunt Edna. You know, it was just it was, and there was a lot of charlatans, a lot of a lot of you know fakes right. and stuff. People praying on it. So Houdini became kind of a debunker. He started to get upset by people praying on other people and taking their money to talk to their, and it was all fake and everything. So he said, "We're going to prove either." It does exist. There are such things as sentient spirits, spirits with a will that can have a conversation with you after their death, or there's not. And the way I'm going to do it, Houdini decided, was I'm going to have a code with my wife. In the event of my death, you're going to try to reach me. You know, channels that most people do it nowadays, which was 1920-something, you know, through a seance. So here's the code, and, and he gave her the, I don't know, it was like a password, you know. Right. And he goes, write it down, put it in a safe, don't tell anybody, make sure you don't tell any mediums, <laughs> psychic mediums. If they contact me, and you ask them to have me tell you the code, and I tell you the code, it's real. If, I, if they go, I'm, I'm not hearing any code, you know it's fake, and they're stealing your money and of course you know probably what happened she she tried for years to contact him with the code and he could and she never could get you know satisfaction no code ever came through from the afterlife so i think once i read that i was like God, yeah that kind of ices it for me it's 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 not what we think it is. Well, it's, that's, well, that's just the thing. Like, what I see, and I don't know what I'm actually seeing, but is that we communicate like this, and then we think, okay, you know, if I die, I'm going to have a, a code word for you. Where I'm right. Gonna, and I promise I'll do this after, you know, after a certain point or something. But then what if you get there, and all of a sudden there's some sort of loophole that you can't do that thing that you right. said you were going to do. So you have to find other ways to do it whatever is right. available to you but you know that's what i'm seeing is that there is a no you can't uh, communicate just like back and forth i don't know it's well, just all what i what i believe yeah i i mean I, it's not i'm not you know you know what I, I watch ghost adventures with you all the time but i can't get you know uppity during many of those episodes like this the the, the psychic mediums that we're working with 
Houdini's wife, trying to get them to believe because there'll be there'll be a little thing in the audio. <laughs> he just said I'm dead and I want to come back, and I'm like, that's that's not what that. And they'll okay. replay it, and it, it you're just... never watching Ghost Adventures with me again. <laughs> I just ever. I want to. I know you always I... say that, but then I this makes me like, no, you're not watching with me. Okay, but. I, I, okay, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to offend you. I, I didn't even mean to offend Ghost Adventures. We'll, I mean, we'll file it under the Dateline 2020. No, no, like, things no. Jill watches Look, I, Jay's in the kitchen. In all seriousness, the afterlife, to me, I hope, and I do have belief, that you don't go to this strange heaven... I think I was working that out in this story, too, because this story, you'll notice, it's not exactly heaven. It's a limbo that's comfortable. It's a limbo that made the dead person feel comfortable and calm down. Like defending your life with Albert Brooks and... Right, <laughs> right, right. They can eat whatever right. they want, so they can... We want calm. you to calm down and have a good time before you move on. We, <laughs> Whatever you need, it's... And you can eat all you want and never gain any weight. <laughs> but no, let me finish this thought. Good. The, see, the ghost thing, to me, dilutes the beauty of the afterlife. Because if you, if you just keep going, you know, it's all scary and there's people trying to contact us. And it's like, you know, don't go in that house. I do it myself. Yeah, but I'm not, it's not, I'm not I, saying that everything's scary, though. But that, well, okay. All right. I'm not. I'm not saying you say. I'm when I say that. I'm talking about the whole industry that makes money off of it. They make it scary. They don't. They don't make it wonderful and sweet and peaceful and everything. That that's on a different channel. That's the Hallmark channel. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm gonna push back. I don't think. I think there's a difference between you know wanting to watch something to be scared and watch it, wanting to watch something because you're fascinated. Yeah. By it. I, well, Kubrick said. When, when making The Shining to Jack Nicholson, you know, this is essentially a, an optimistic story. And Nicholson's like, what? what the fuck are you talking about? And he goes, no. He goes, any ghost story, any story about something beyond our death is essentially optimistic that there is an afterlife. I, I, I get his point, but my point is everybody wants to just know exactly what everything is that that's the there's a beauty in the mystery of it you know because to me it's possible my dad who was cremated you know has returned to the earth he's returned to the earth he's re he's returned to the air and the water and the and the earth he's returned to you know the universe as as organic matter, that's truly peaceful. Yeah, it's tranquil. Yeah, you know you're not you don't have a harp and wings and you're not flying around this make believe sort of right. land. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's sweet and kind of kind of charming and, and kind of you know naive, but it's it's okay. There's no, there's nothing wrong with believing that. It's just that I I can't square the idea of ghosts. It, it seems there's just something missing there. Like, where do they go when they're not talking to us? Where do they go in just the... Just because you can't answer it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Well, that's exactly the same about communicating. You can't figure out what they're communicating. If they are out there, or they are walking the earth, or they're, you know, they're wandering the earth, I don't think we can figure out what their purpose is, how it works. The, you know what I mean? Because it, it goes back to that Who song. The seeker is going to always be searching until the day he dies. Right, but there's because plenty you... of people who are, are are seeking it out. You know, just evidence of it. Maybe they don't. Or they aren't going to know how it works, but that's what all these paranormal groups do. And uh, have you ever had an encounter with a ghost? Well, just the one that I caught on my camera from. Well, that but that was, I mean. If you're saying that just an anomalous weird light flying across, that's that's what you're talking about. That's not a person. It was an anomalous weird light. It was a sh head and shoulders that turns. I mean, it was something more than Oh, that. I thought it was like a shape. It was like it was like a head and shoulders that then turns and ducks. It's 
<clears throat> I'll post this somewhere so y'all can see it. <laughs> oh, that would be cool. I think yeah. people would love that. Anyway. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I mean, we're never going to solve this, I think, today. I, I, I mean, I you know, I'm, I'm supposed to be the dark one and everything, but I, I think there's, you know, there's something really beautiful about not knowing living in people's memory is the true ghost. The ghost is a memory, you know, and you can have dreams about the person and think, well, that's, that's the ghost right there. They're in my dream trying to communicate with me. And some people believe that too, but that's, it's, it's within the person who knew and loved the deceased it's a memory, and that's the true spirit, to me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you don't you don't buy that either. No, I mean it's just the thing is we can each have our own yeah, way we feel. Of about course, it. of course, of course. Okay, so um, when I die, I'm gonna haunt the hell out of you. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, you know me so well, you're just going to be like, oh my god, I smell Lucky Tiger, he's around again. <laughs> Do you have any uh, grocery stories for this week? <laughs> <laughs> grocery stories. Um, uh, well, you know, the grocery business has changed during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really hear you mention the grocery store. Well, there's not, there's not a lot of quirky, whimsical things that go on in a grocery store anymore. <laughs> Okay, because A, people don't talk to each other. Right. And B, people are like, stay away from me, please. You're a little right. too close. I'm That's sorry. You know, true. there's no fun, charming, right. Walt Disney-esque things any, anymore. So the grocery story this week is there's no grocery And, and plus, everybody's wearing masks. So George, the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the liquor guy, just, he's like, you know, everybody's got their head down. It, it, that's the grocery story. It's very grim. All right, well, maybe it, stay tuned for next week. So many things are grim right now. <laughs> I know. You know? I mean... The grocery store is supposed to be sort of an upper in this right. Well, I was trying to leave it on an up about the memory and the living in the... Right. So the grocery story now has brought us back down. So you you tell, tell me something good. You were such an upbeat, optimistic person. Well, I had know. a good week this week. Yeah? What happened? Um, Did you talk to a ghost? No. <laughs> I'm gonna be talking to your ghost. <laughs> uh, Touche. Uh, no, but I actually finally uh, was able to get my hair done on, and it just oh, changed my and life. Done. Just felt so good. Done. I'm embracing. You did. I'm embracing the gray. You did done. And getting rid of the coloring it's my gorge. hair. It's gorge. And I was so over it. And uh, so, yeah, she gave me a bunch of cool highlights, so I just felt really good, and then... Um, the highlights was, made you look younger. And that, Thank you. I'm not just saying that to, to curry favor. It's, right. it's really kind of counterintuitive. Right. It's yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you agree with that, though? It's kind of... I mean, I like it. Yeah, good. I'm happy with it. Good. So, and then I got my new Warby Parker glasses, which I'm so excited about. So I just felt like a new me. Warby Parker like a... <laughs> is not an advertiser of this show. She is not being repaid paid for this announcement <laughs> um yeah but then also i got to see amy she came and stood on oh the my god that's right you had a great and week. we got to actually like talk from the porch and like i just miss her so right, much right right um and then my friend sari i talked to her on the phone for like an hour and it was just really like i felt like i kind of like tapped into my social life a little bit beyond like a zoom call or messenger or <laughs> slack or whatever so to actually communicate with my my pals was really was really cool that's awesome yeah so well done thank you well done did you have thank a... you for engineering another show oh you're welcome, you're welcome. <laughs> all right well um anything else you want to add um just uh thank you for listening and be nice to each other and wear a mask yes that's wherever cool. you are whatever you're doing Right. The mask is to protect others from you, from your spit. <laughs> and let's just get this all over with. Wear a fucking mask. Right, right. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. all right. So with that, we'll see you next time. Yep. Thank you for listening. All right. We love doing this. We want to keep doing it. All right. Bye. Love you. Love you too. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.
The music for This Should Be a Podcast is Close Shave by The Riptones. Like everything good, it's on Spotify.